So this is um, this is the I, I don't know what number we are now, but basically we'll be running this series from um, the beginning of the year up until now, and it's been amazing. Um, so I want to encourage us to start with that if you missed any of the previous sessions or you want to um, just re relieve the experience and you know refresh your memory on things that were shared, please I encourage you to do so. And uh, we have the links, we have the message, sorry, on, on our podcast, all right? Um, today, we are looking at the helmet of truth, which is a continuation from <clears throat> where we stopped last, um, last week. We started looking at the helmet of truth. And um, I mean, I must admit also that it was a bit technical last week. So what I'm going to do today is try to um, simplify and uh, make it well as straightforward as possible. All right, that's what I aim to do. Oh, but let me share my screen, by the way. Let me share my screen for us to, um, to flow with. Okay, so I hope you all can see my screen. I mean, except for those of us on Mixella. Um, but we're looking at the helmet of salvation, right? And um, like I said, please, if you missed last week's one or any of the weeks, previous weeks, um, kindly go over them again and kindly go over them again and you'll be blessed. John, it's a, it's a good reminder. Personally, and I keep saying this, but, and I hope you guys really believe me. Personally, this whole series has been <clears throat> eye-opening for me um, because I must admit that I didn't know every, I mean, when Holy Ghost dropped to my heart, to for us to focus on this number one i didn't think it would take this long because i mean this is just like four or five verses we've been focusing on for the past um two months plus so i didn't think it'd take this long number one i didn't even know many of the things um, before i started studying about them and the holy ghost just opened my eyes and connected various aspects of scriptures um together so it's been a blessing to me personally and i hope it has been to you as well so today we're looking at the helmet of salvation, a continuation, right? And our anchor text is from the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Ephesians um, chapter 6, verse 17. If you are there, please help us read. I think I miss people reading for us because I've been reading a lot of leads. I want to stop that. All right, please, we are there. Someone should help us read Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Somebody helping us? Ephesians 6, verse 17. Yes, please. Put on salvation as your helmet. This is NLT. Okay. And take the word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hallelujah. So it says we should put on salvation as our helmets all right holy spirit again we thank you for understanding we receive your word with open hearts we ask ask that you teach us by yourself in jesus name amen all right so the bible says we should take salvation as a helmet right and then the sword of the spirit which is the word of god so in various i mean from verse um verse 13 down or from verse 14 actually it begins to tell us the various aspects of the armor and what they represent but it, yeah um apostle Paul now comes to the helmet 
and he says that for helmets, you need to put on the helmet of salvation. And that is very instructive because, um, I mean, if you watch action movies like me, um, I, I, love, I, don't, I don't do rom romance or romantic, all those cry crime movies, I don't. But so if you watch action movie like me, right, you know that, or even if from basic science, you know that two main parts of the body that if they have severe impact, the person can lose their lives instantly. Number one is the heart, and number two is the head, all right? If you cut off the arm, the person will still survive, um, just provided they don't lose excess blood. If you cut off the leg, the person will still survive, you know, um, but if, you, if, you, if, the, if the person has an impact on the heart, severe impact, the person may just pass on. And same thing too with the head. So those two parts of the body are very critical. So for the heart, we looked at the fact that the Bible says, we should put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we explored that um, earlier on. That is in verse, um, verse 14. But now we, when it comes to the head, the protective mechanism for the head or the protective um, part of the arm, armor um, is called the helmet of salvation. So that suggests to us that the helmet of salvation is super important, right? And it's easy to tell because of the part of the body it protects. So what we began to do last week was to um, take a look at why it was even important. And we saw from inference, right, right, and metaphorically that the head there represents, you know, the mind, the seat of reasoning, the seat of consciousness, meaning where you make your decisions from, all right, um, where you execute, where you reason and process thoughts from, right? That's your mind, basically. So we looked at that metaphorically, that that's what the head represents. And we saw how that, uh, we, we just, just, I'm doing a quick recap now. Why is this important, right? We read Romans chapter one that talks about a group of people who intentionally refused to acknowledge God as God. And so they, they were, they took away God basically from their consciousness. And we said that there is a civilization that attempts to, um, exempt God from its consciousness. And this is what the devil actually desires. When men and women live on the earth, go through life on earth, we, without the consciousness of God, where they lose consciousness of God and their actions do not factor in God. You know, um, you can tell when you, when you look at the way so, some industries are run or some, some people live their lives, you can tell that there's no strain of God even in their consciousness that they live carelessly or they live solely for themselves. You know, they live solely for the, um, for what they get, what they will get in life. And you can tell from the way, you know, someone does business, the person's priority is just money, money at all costs, whether through underhanded means or, or methods or, or not, the person just wants to make money at all costs. So you can tell from such systems, from such civilizations, like I call, like I, like I would love to call it, Right? You can tell from those civilizations that these people have exempted God from their consciousness. And this is what the enemy actually strives to accomplish in people's lives. Then we also saw from Habakkuk chapter 2 that on the contrary, God's expectation is, or God, and God's desire is that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. All right? And so we see two contrasting, um, contrasting missions. The enemy wants people to exclude God from their consciousness so that they can live as they like, they can live for themselves, they can live um, for their feelings. And you know, when you hear people, when you hear some statements, and again, I, I keep saying this, I've said this several times here, but I, I would love to say it again. 
that is not every quote unquote empowering or motivating statement that is necessarily biblical. So we have to be careful. All right. And I, I love giving this example. For instance, when you hear people say, oh, do what makes you happy. Um, do what you like. I mean, if people don't like you, just ghost them. Um, um, make sure do your self-happiness, self-preservation. You know, we need to be really careful with those kind of statements because at the core of it, we are promoting self. And that is not the kingdom agenda. Of course, the Bible wouldn't say you should do things that are detrimental to your existence, but the Bible never puts you as the focus of your action. The Bible never puts you as your as the priority for your life. All right, and that's a system of living that people need to be careful about. That there are people currently who live for themselves. They do what makes them happy, and when it when, even when it means hurting other people or acting rudely to other people or doing things that would undermine the humanity of others, they will do it because they just do what makes them happy. If it means they won't keep up to their, to their commitments, they will do it because it just makes them happy. And that's a very dangerous and a devilish way of living. All right, so we can't live for ourselves. That is not God's kingdom. That is not God's civilization. That's not God's way of doing things. All right, so we looked at that. These are there are two contrasting civilizations and the enemy's goal is to create a parallel system where people live aside God. And we looked at this in detail when we, when we went to Genesis and you know all of that. So please go back if you missed last week's one um, to, to look at that or to, to listen to the podcast, um, all right? Then we also saw how that the proof of life is consciousness. And when man, died, when man went through spiritual death, right? In the Garden of Eden, when they sinned and you know they died as God said spiritually, what happened was that they began to lose the consciousness of God, and we saw a progression of how much of how the consciousness of God began to fade and erode from the hearts of people up until a point where people began to build a whole city without God. All right, and and you know we looked at that furthermore, and we compared man's system versus God's system. We using Genesis chapter eleven verse one to nine as a case study. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. All right. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. And we see that in this story, when they wanted to build the tower, that these people wanted to build a build their own city and their own tower. They wanted to have a name for themselves. And thirdly, they wanted to dwell in the same city. All right. And we also saw how that this was vastly contrasting to God's um, system because when we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 to 10, the Bible talks about Abraham and the, and the um, other patriarchs of faith, how that they looked forward to a city whose foundation and builder was God. So they were looking forward to a city that God himself was the originator. God himself was the architect of that city. He was the builder. He was the founder of that city. Whereas man's system, as, the, as displayed by the, by the people um, building the Tower of Babel, their system was to build their own city build their own tower. So they were the focus of their own activities. They were the originators. But God says, no, my system is that I, God, originate it, and I give you and I usher you into that city, all right? Um, so, so that's a contrasting view. And you know, the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, that it is not given to man to direct his, his, his steps. So what these people wanted to do in the Tower of Babel was to direct themselves. They wanted to become the architect of their own civilization. Second thing I wanted to do was to create a name for themselves, all right? Um, whereas the Bible lets us know that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. So God gives us his name. We don't create a name for ourselves. We don't create an identity 
um, for ourselves. God gives us that identity, okay? And the third thing these people wanted to do was that they wanted to dwell in the same city. Whereas God's admonition from Genesis chapter 9 um, and also Genesis chapter 1 was that man should go and fill the earth, should populate the earth. But these people said, no, they wanted to dwell in that same, in the same city. And that was a direct contradiction to the commandment of God because the only way, remember God's instruction to man was for man to subdue the earth. The only way man would effectively subdue the earth is by covering the earth, by populating the earth. But these people didn't want to populate the earth. They all wanted to dwell in one city, having the same style of living, and, and that was not God's idea. So we see that man's system is a direct contrast to God's system. And when we, when we, when people begin to lose consciousness of God, what happens is that they end up under the under man's system and you know begin to live like um, like men would. And we ended on this note, which is where we're going to begin begin with today. And by the way, um, today's teaching might be very brief, um, but I believe it will be helpful to a lot of us. All right. So we ended on these notes, um, and that was last week. And I want us to pick up from it. Okay. So still from the study, from the um, story of, of the Tower of Babel in Genesis, and I think we should open to that. So Genesis chapter 9, um, verse, sorry, chapter 11, I beg your pardon, verse 1 to 9. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1, verses 1 to 9. <clears throat> All right, Genesis 11, verse 1 to 9 says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shina and dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. Verse 4, And they said, Go to, let us build us let us build us a city. Again, you know, the emphasis is us. They say, let us build us. So there was no way in this equation where they considered a supreme being. And, you know, this is one of the, um, let me just take a, a, a detour for, on this particular verse. But this is one of the plagues of our current generation where in the bid to empower people, we are actually empowering self and not empowering people. And you see, the wisdom of God is, is, is what is wiser than the wisdom of men is vast. You know, when people keep on empowering selves, right? Meaning empowering the flesh, what happens is that they get to the pinnacle of the flesh and find out that there's nothing there. It cannot be sustained. So um, um, verse four says, let us build us a city. So self was the motivation, self was the reason. And that system is still what is being sold for the majority of like of the world right now where they say um do what makes you happy i keep i keep making reference to that um or just yourself self-happiness self-preservation self-joy everything is self that's a trick from the pit of hell all right because god never in any way encourages us or instructs us to live for self we are never told anywhere in the bible that we should live for self we are told in fact second corinthians 5 verse 15 says that Christ died for us so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who 
died um, for them, who loved them and gave himself up for them. So we've never been told to live for ourselves. In fact, the Bible says, putting us, preferring one, preferring others above ourselves, basically saying, considering the need of others, even above yourself, like putting other people first and making that sacrifice. So again, be careful of, of subtle doctrines and, um, and, and quote-unquote motivational speaking that encourages you to, to put yourself as the center of your decision-making process. That is not from God. I am not saying you are you do things, again, like I mentioned earlier, you won't do things that are detrimental to your life or to yourself or to your, to your image and all of that. But I'm not saying that you don't put yourself as the reason for the decisions you make. That is the, a recipe for the um, system of man. All right, so verse four says, and they said, go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name, let us make us a name. So you see that again, let us make us a name, least we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So from this verse, um, verse four, there are three things you can deduce that will tell you the measure of the consciousness of God in a person's life, all right? The first thing is that they said, let us go and build us a city. A city here represents a civilization or a mode of oppression, all right? That's a way of doing things. Think about the city you live in, for instance. Um, in the city you live in, there's, if you want to buy fuel for your car, there's a filling, sta a filling station. If you want to um, buy groceries, there are, there are supermarkets, there are malls you can go to. If you want to buy, buy things for food, you know, there's a market to go to. Everything that you need for, I mean, the majority of what you need for your daily living can be found in that city, right? Your work, most likely, or your school, or different things are found in that city. So a whole civilization, that means you don't necessarily need to go outside your city to experience what you need. For instance, I live in a city called Lagos. Um, most of what I need is in Lagos. There are very few things that I, I need on a daily basis that I have to go outside of the city of Lagos to get, okay? That means I don't need to live where I am. Everything all happens within my city. And so, so this city here represents a mode of operation, a, a way of living. When you look at people's lives, you can, from the way they live their lives, from the way they organize their lives, you can tell if God, if God is in their consciousness or not, all right? Um, and when you look at John chapter, and, and you know, this is both ways, whether for those that have God in their consciousness or those that don't, right? You can tell from the way they live that this person fears God. Even if you don't have a verbal conversation with the person, all right? Even if the person doesn't mention to you and say, oh, I fear God, right? But you can tell from the way this person lived their, this person lived their, lives his, his or her life, you can tell that there's, a, there's a, a restraining factor of God in this person's life. When you hear people speak carelessly, you can tell that this person doesn't have God in their consciousness. You know, when you hear people talk about even bad situations, you can tell that some, someone might be going through a lot of negative things, but when you hear the person speak, you know that this person still has God in his heart. That's God is still in his consciousness. And when you hear someone else speak, you, you know that ah, this person, there's, there's, you can't trace God in the person's thinking, in the person's lifestyle at all. And an example, this is not on the slide, this just drops in my heart, but a very good example is, the, is Job, um, in the book of Job. I want to read something to us. Um, 
Job chapter, um, this should be in chapter two now. Job chapter, chapter two, verse, <clears throat> Job chapter two, verse um, seven. I read from verse seven to, to 10, okay? So please follow me, Job chapter two, verse seven to verse 10. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. So this was the second time um, God bragged about Job before, you know, devil and God gave um, the devil the permission to afflict Job's body and all of that. Now look at verse eight. And he took him a pot shed, that's Job now, took him a pot shed to scrape himself without. And he sat among the ashes. Verse nine. Then said his wife, now this was Job's wife, said, he, said his wife unto him, does thou still retain thy integrity? He says, curse God and die. Meaning the wife was telling Job that uh, with all you are going through, you still want to maintain that integrity, that consciousness of God in your heart. She says, what is there to hold on to? Just curse God and die. What she was telling Job was basically to lose every sense of consciousness of God Curse God and then let him just die. Let him, let's know that we've ended the chapter. But look at Job's answer. It says, verse 10, but he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. And what this suggests to us is that the, those who lose the consciousness of God, uh, I mean, for to put it mildly, is what the Bible calls, refers to as fools, okay? And we see this even in Romans chapter one, where we read, um, and we're going to come back to that too. Just take note of it. Anyways, he says, what shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all these, Job did not sin with his lips. This is the testimony of a man who retained the consciousness of God in his life. Even when things were going, things had gone totally south. And this was like the worst of the worst of the experience anybody could have. But Job still had that consciousness of God. And because of that, it was a refraining factor in his heart, in his, you know, in his consciousness that he could not just cause God or speak carelessly. So there are people you hear that, or you hear speak and you, you see them live their lives and you know that this, is, this, this person not, doesn't have God in his life. And this is what the Bible refers to as the world, all right? And that is found in John chapter 2, verse 15 to verse 17. John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Please help me read if you are there. John chapter 2, verse um, 15 to 17. Oh, sorry. 1 John, I beg your pardon. 1 John, um, the book of 1 John chapter 2. The book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. 17. Anybody, please? Um, still... Yes, please. From verse 15 to 17, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. Mm -hmm. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. For anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Hallelujah. Please, um, Ida, I want you to read verse, verse 16 again. I love the way your translation puts it. 
Okay, verse 16. Yes. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, mm -hmm. a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possession. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Praise God. So it says a craving for physical pressure. Pressure, is that what you said? What it says? Yes, physical pleasure. Physical pleasure, okay. Good. Yes. And then for secondly, everything we see. Everything we see. And pride and, in our achievements and, and possession. So thank you very much, Dad. So the scripture already tells us that there is a civilization that doesn't have God in it. All that they care about is the physical pleasure, pride in our achievements, and then what our eyes can see. And you know, that is the that is a city that people have built around. Okay. And if you look at the world currently, they, there are several industries that are built on these three things. Um, physical pleasure, how you feel. I mean, there are so many industries built on that. Um, you're the pride of your achievements. And you see, when people talk about career advancement, like we said last week, obviously advancing your career is a very healthy desire to have. But when you center your life around advancing your career, then that is a problem, all right? Um, then also what your eyes see, um, I mean, the, the whole industry, and quite sadly, it's almost as though right now you cannot advertise anything without including nudity in it, all right? Because that is the, the system of the world, and they are trying to, to cash out on that, on that system, basically. So there's a whole civilization like that, all right? So that is what the city there in, in Genesis chapter 11, that's what that city represents. The second thing they wanted to do, um, please let's go back to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, I'm sorry, I, I flipped away from that. All right, Genesis chapter 11, we're still in verse four, says, the first said, let us build us a city one, and then second, they say, let us build a tower. Okay, um, yeah, sorry, a tower. Now, a tower here represents um, strength and security, okay? So when, you know, Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it and they are safe. So the tower there is for safety, is for security, okay? And it represents strength. And I explained last week that um, in the Bible days, the cities built typically had a, a tower. And from the tower, the soldiers would take watches and you know observe what's going on. And um, the higher your tower, the higher, the better you can see. You have more, um, a wider vantage, <clears throat> vantage view, okay? So, and people use that tower as a, as a means of security just in case the city was being attacked. They would run into the tower because it was fortified and it was typically strong. So the tower here, represents strength and security, all right? And what happens is that people begin to develop a sense of, of security and strength outside of God, all right? And this is what happens when people no longer retain the consciousness of God in their hearts anymore, in their minds anymore, that they begin to look for alternatives of alternative sources of strength and of security. And this is a very common one, okay? Um, like I said last week, it could, <clears throat> it could be a lady um, that wants to use her beauty or that sees her beauty as a means of security. So she's, she's secure in how beautiful she looks. Whenever she has breakouts or God forbid, something happens to her face, right? It, her self-image totally, you know, go, falls to the ground and there's nothing 
she's secure in a game because she had built her security around her beauty. For someone else, security is built around money. All right. So once the account is buoyant, the account is, is, is in green light, oh, they're doing fine. But the moment something tampers with that, they've lost every sense of strength. They've lost every sense of security. All right. For some people, the security is in their jobs. Oh, as long as I have a job, I'm secure. They, they can, they're confident. But once anything comes to shake, they shake that job, then they've lost every sense of security. And so what the people in the Tower of Babel were trying to do where to they were trying to build an alternative source of security aside god they were trying to build a tower that would, they would put their strength in right and rather than putting their strength in god and we still we still see this happen in our day and time and this is the effect of people who lose consciousness of god or who do not retain god in their consciousness what happens is that they begin to look for alternatives to god basically they just as we looked uh, as we spoke about for is for the city right they, they they invent a way of living that does not capture god in that lifestyle um they also invent sources of security and strength and it could be see it could be the it could be the minutest thing for some people it's in how fine their hair is and that's their security oh once their hair is is, is well done they are so confident but if anything ever happens to that hair Ah, that's the end of the world. For some people, it's their family members or their relations or something, someone. In fact, for some people, it's their children. They have developed security in the fact that they have children and they focus all their, their strength in and security in the children, in their children. And it has become a reason to boast and say, ah, you know, you know, my when they go for meetings, they say, ah, yes, you know, my child just he had, they just finished their third term. He got seven prizes. Do you know about that? And nobody asks you, madam. You get so for some people, that is it, that it that is it rather. All right. And before you begin pointing accusing fingers at those these kind of people, look into your life and ask yourself what has become a source of security for me, consciously or unconsciously, that is not God Himself. You know, so you don't fall prey to this deception. Okay, what have you taken as a source of security? Oh, is it your marriage? Is it your bank account? Is it your job? Is it a promise from a, a your father, your mother, your uncle, your aunt? You know, is it is it a, a a promise from a human being? Is it the fact that oh, you now you've built your house, so you're you're confident? Whatever it is that gives us source of strength and security aside, God is a problem in itself. All right. Um, there are two scriptures I want to read here, but okay, I'm going to quote one and then we'll read the other. So Mark chapter 10, verse 24, Jesus Christ, um, he met this, if you read the previous verses, he met this young man that was a diligent follower of the law. He came to meet Jesus and said, what will I do to inherit eternal, eternal life? And Jesus said, oh, love your, your mother, obey the commandments, love your parents, um, honor your parents, do this, do that. The man said, all of these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus didn't argue. He now said, ah, there's one more thing that you are lacking. He said, okay, go sell your possession, sell all that you have and give the money to the poor. And that was where the man, he did not, he could not handle it again. He was downcast. And then he left. And when he left, Jesus Christ turned to his disciples and says, and said to them that it is difficult for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. So this man's problem wasn't that he was rich. This was not a, a story to say rich being rich is bad or rich people are bad. No, this was a story to point out that 
those who have put their trust in riches, right, cannot enter into what God has for them. And this, that could be a source of strength, just like for this man, his source of strength and security was his riches. This is why, let me tell you that whenever you decide to, let's say someone decides to work with God and makes a commitment that, God, I want to work with you. One of the first things God will do, he will remove every pillar that you've been leaning on aside him. If the pillar was how intelligent you were, God will allow you to fail so many times so that you no longer trust in your intelligence. If the pillar was how rich, how much money you have, God will allow circumstances to shake the source of your income so that you can put your eyes on him. The same way God came and told this, the same God that gave Abraham his son Isaac, the same God came and requested Isaac from Abraham because God wanted to check if Abraham's dependence on the fulfillment of his of God's prophecy or God's promise to him was on God or was on Isaac, you know? And thank God Abraham did not fail that test. So as we begin to work with God seriously, one of the things God will do to us is that he will shake every source of security or strength that we have that is not him. And um, if we're able to pass that test, then we'll see how, how reliable God is. We'll see how that God is really the rock that does not move, okay? So when you look at him, um, Luke chapter 12 as well, um, I'm conscious of time, okay. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Um, I think I'll read that briefly. Luke, the book of Luke chapter 12, verse 16. You won't believe what just came to my mind. I was about to say, let us look to the book of Luke, but please, I didn't say that. So Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Um, where am I, where am I, all right? Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 16. So this is the story of the rich fool or the parable of the rich fool. Um, 12, verse 16 to 21. Um, the Bible says that, and he spoke a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to be bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my bands and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. So for this man, his goods were, were his security. He said, you know what? My soul, just calm down, relax, uh-uh, enjoy yourself. You don't need to worry. You have, you have money saved for so many years. So his riches was his security. He, he was basically saying to himself that no matter what happens, I have money saved in Swiss bank. I have money saved in, in US. I have money saved in um, Germany. I have money saved in Nigeria. I have money saved in the UK. Calm down, calm down. He opened several banks, bank accounts and stored so much money because his business did very well. You know, let's assume in, the, in COVID period, he made billions of Naira. So he spread all the money and said, aha, now, just be at peace, relax. Don't you don't say anything that um, I get so much money for the future. That's what he was telling himself. But look at what happened. Um, verse, verse 19, let me read verse 19 again. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. When 
sorry, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Verse 21 says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. There are so many things I would love to point from here, um, but I don't have time to go into details. But first thing is to note the fact that Jesus referred to the person or God referred to that man as a fool. Again, back to my definition that everyone who does not retain the consciousness of God ends up a fool, ends up acting in ways that the Bible calls foolish, all right? And that is basically what vanity is. Then he says that um, when the man was speaking, I don't know, when, when God was speaking, he says, so is he that, verse 21, so is he that lays up treasure for himself. So again, you see this concept where self is the motivation. Everything he was thinking about was himself. All his goods, everything was himself. There was nothing about God factored into his decision-making process, all right? So that's how, some, how people act when they lose the consciousness of God in their lives. They begin to build towers that is not God or that is not founded on God. They begin to build other sources of strength and security that is not hinged on God. And the last thing these people did in the book of Genesis was they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to derive an identity. They wanted to give themselves an identity um, that God did not give them, all right? And um, I want to read a scripture. I, I didn't put that here, but let me just read it. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. I had quoted this earlier, but let me read it. Jeremiah chapter, chapter 10, verse 23. It says, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not Sorry, I just realized I was muted. Please, can you all hear me? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Since my internet tripped off for a bit. All right. Um, let me reshare my slide. Um, but someone should please confirm what was the last thing you heard me say? Anybody, please? What was the last thing you heard me say? Um, anyone helping me out? Just so I know we are together. Peter, you explain the scenario of the rich man. I don't know if anyone can confirm if that's what they asked. Um, okay. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I'll just start off from there. Thank you, Mixeller. I see that you confirm you can hear me. Thank you. All right. So I was basically explaining um, from where we just read, right? How that, um, how that, so people build identities or build security, sorry, build other sources of security aside God. All right. And then we looked at the story of the rich man who built, like, who's had a lot of harvest, expanded his bands, and said to himself that right now, all I just need to do is to relax, and I don't need to worry myself, right? Because for him, his money or his resources was his source of security. 
But God then came to him and says, your soul will be taken from you today. Meaning that the thing you put your security on is still fragile because they can't protect your soul from, from, from death, basically. And then we moved on to um, the third thing that these people in the book of Genesis 11, right? The people at the Tower of Babel, the third thing they wanted to do for themselves. And that was they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to make an, create an identity for themselves. They wanted to give themselves their own identity. But that is, that is not um, God's pattern because the, clay, the, the um, pot right, that was made from the clay cannot, does not determine what it will be made, uh, what it was made into. All right? it, was God, it is God, the potter, that decides what he makes with the clay. Okay? And um, there is so much going on right now in the world around identity that um I, I i i believe strongly it is an intentional attack of the enemy on people's on people on the world in general and what i mean by this is that people are coming especially the western world and this is creeping already into um, nigeria but people are beginning to consider freedom as the ability to give yourself an identity that you desire so somebody wakes up one morning and says, I identify as a fish. And the, the law expects us to believe the person is a fish. It's just very absurd, but as absurd as it is, it, it is happening. Someone wakes up one morning and says, you know, I will, I've decided that I no longer want to be a man. I just want to identify myself as a woman. And then the person begins to identify himself as a woman. And what that, what the, 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 attack of the enemy or the deception of enemy is that is exactly what these people are trying to do they wanted to make a name for themselves they wanted to create their own identity for themselves and not take the identity that god in his sovereignty already give has given them all right and what 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 we are seeing in the world right now is the same deception where people want to decide who they will be and and that is that is one of the deceptions of the enemy because the enemy suggests to you that you have the power you have the liberty you can be anything you want to be, right? You can do anything you want to do. You can wake up one morning and tell yourself, I no longer want to be a woman. I want to become a man and just be a man. It's that simple. That is one of the terrible deceptions of this, our generation that has, I mean, it's been on the earth for as long as the devil has been on the earth, but it has amplified so much in this particular dispensation, all right? Where people derive identity, where they give themselves their own identity. But I, I was about reading Jeremiah chapter, chapter 10, and this is what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. It says, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. That means man cannot by himself determine himself, cannot tell, man cannot tell himself who he is or who he wants to be. Okay? It says it is. Hi, hi. Can you all hear me? Sorry, my internet tweaked off again. Um, I'm not sure what's going on. But please let me know if you can hear me now and you can see me. Anyone? Can you hear me? Can you see me? Mixeller, can anybody hear me? Zoom, can you hear me? Can you see me?
All right. Again, apologies for that. Um, my internet totally went blind. I just switched to another internet. Please confirm if you can hear me and you can see me. We'll just wrap up in a few minutes. Can hear you and I can see you. Okay, thank you. Please, Mixeller, kindly confirm that you can hear me and you can you can hear me. All right. Um, so I'm, you might not be able to see me on Zoom. I turn off my, my video, but please just um, look at the slides. Mixer, please confirm that you can hear me over there. Please confirm you can hear Mixer. All right, so I'm just gonna go on while I wait for your, your confirmation. Okay. So um, we stopped at so key identity basically, and what happens is that people are trying to build, are trying to give themselves their own identity, whereas the Bible says that it is not given to man to decide his his ways. It's not given to man to determine his own steps. All right, um, and that's one of the deceptions of this age, like I mentioned, where people are giving themselves their own identity. But that is on one hand. Another hand is the fact that is the fact that people have also derived identity from other things aside God, all right? People have derived identity even from things that are good, but they have derived, they have attached their identity to that experience or to that um, um, event or to that um, possession. So for instance, someone has, um, someone is doing well in business and the person only sees himself in light in light of that business. So if you take away the business, the person cannot tell you who he really is. All right, and this is a very slippery part because while purpose, pursuing purpose is of, is of utmost importance, we must not derive our identity from the activities of purpose. We must derive our identity from God himself. God should be the only source of our identity, not even the activities that purpose um, inspires us to carry out. So for instance, you might be a music minister, but you can't, you, if you begin to base your identity or you determine, you define yourself solely by how good your music is or by how well-known your music is, then you've missed the whole point. Yes, music might be part of fulfilling your purpose and destiny on the earth, but your identity should always and must always be derived from God himself. All right. Okay. So these three things are ways you can measure the consciousness of God in people's lives or ways you can tell how far people have deviated from the um, consciousness of God. All right. So I want to move quickly and read two scriptures to then explain, to tie things up together. All right. Colossians chapter one, verse 21. If you happen to be there before me, you are at liberty to read. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Is there anybody there? Colossians chapter 1. Um, the book of Colossians is after the book of um, Philippians. All right, I'm there. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says... Verse 21 says, and you, 
and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So I read this part just to show us that at some point we were alienated from God. And the Bible says, not only were we alienated from God in terms of our spiritual experience, we're alienated from God in our minds, meaning we did not have the consciousness of God in our hearts at all. All right. And this was this was before salvation, before we received Jesus Christ. Now, when we go to Romans chapter 1, verse 21, we still see something very similar. Um, I just want to read that quickly. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. It says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but because All right. Um, so please, again, apologies that internet keeps tripping off. Um, just, I hope you can hear me. I'm going to wrap, wrap this up quickly so we don't have any more interruptions. Um, please confirm if you can hear me and see me. One more time, please. Just give me a thumbs up somewhere or just let me know you can hear and see me. Um, anyone confirming? Okay, good. Thank you, Dara. All right. So, um, the Bible lets us know that these people, right, they didn't retain God in their consciousness and their hearts were darkened. I just wanted to emphasize the fact that once you remove God out of the heart, it becomes dark because God is the light that illuminates, um, the heart. All right. Now to wrap this up, I want to show us something. Um, just explain this point very well, okay? And people, I said here on the slides that people are most susceptible to the deception of the enemy when the consciousness of God is not factored in their, in their, in their consciousness or when God is no longer factored in their consciousness. What this means is that the moment, you know, the Bible says here that um, we read in Romans that they, they, they did not glorify God as God. And so, um, God gave them up to, the van, to their vain imaginations and their heart was darkened. So that darkness is symbolic of deception. And the moment people no longer retain God in their consciousness, what happens is that they're exposed to the deception of the enemy. And people are most susceptible to deception the moment God is not in their heart. It's like when you take away God from the heart, then deception comes in. So the purpose of the helmet of salvation Right. And I said here that the, that the helmet of salvation is God's mechanism of protecting the believer from the deception of the enemy as a result of removing God from the equation. So that deception that comes to a person when God is no longer factored in their consciousness, right? That deception, God protects us from that deception by giving us this part of the armor called the helmet of salvation. All right. Um, and the reason why this is important is that even though we are believers, if we are, don't retain God in our consciousness, and, and you can see this even from believers that, let's say believers that, that like we like to say to Nigeria, believers that blew, believers that, that had money, people that were very diligent with God, serving God, then all of a sudden they had, they had um, access to, a, to money, just large sum of money, and they began to forget God. 
And as they began to forget God, deception began to creep in. And you know what the Bible calls this deceitfulness of riches? It began to flood their hearts. And that deceitfulness of riches began to envelop their hearts. And you could you can see gradually they began to take steps and make decisions that showed obviously that God was no longer in their hearts. All right. So if probably before they were consistent with their tithes, paying their tithes, giving to church, helping the poor, um, you know, fellowshipping with other believers, then money comes in and for some reason they feel, you know, I my this my tithe is too much. Does, does God, does the church really need it? I mean, why would I pay this amount of tithe? I can let's assume that tithe was supposed to be 100 million, you know. They say, I would I give a whole 100 million, 100 million. Uh, uh. If I give 50 million, even the pastor said will come in to thank me, you know, and then deceitfulness of riches begins to come in. And if before this time, they, they, they typically would pray to God and ask God for direction before they make any decision. But now that money has come, they can do anything they want to do with the money. And so they don't see the need of asking God for direction or asking God for his opinion on every matter. As long as money can solve it, they say, well, why do I need to pray when money can solve it, you know, and they just use money. That is a case, an example of when people begin to lose the consciousness of God in their hearts, all right, and deception begins to, to, begins to come in. Now, what happens is, and, and what God does is that to protect the believer from that kind of experience, he gives us the helmet of salvation, and I'm going to explain just what the helmet of salvation is, and we'll conclude with that. But God, to protect us from those kind of deception, God gives us the helmet of salvation. Another ex example again is, let's say, for instance, um, um, somebody gets anointed, you know, um, just begins to see the manifestation of God's anointing in his life. People are healed, um, see the people are delivered, um, different miracles are happening. And then pride begins to come in. You know, the deception that comes from that kind of um, um, honor because of the anointing that you have. Pride begins to come in and the person begins to talk to people anyhow, you know, uh, begins to treat people wrongly, begins to say different things. And maybe, maybe before now, this person will spend time with God before going for administration, pray, you know, seek the face of God, Lord, what will I say and all of that. But then when the anointing begins to grow and manifest, the person begins to say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. Once I just climb the stage and hold the mic, anointing will flow. And the person begin the, the things that the, the person used to do, spending time in God's presence, studying the word, the person stops doing them or it begins to decline in doing them. And then what, what happens is that the person is losing the consciousness of God in his heart. Even though this person might have the anointing, but he's losing that consciousness of God. So to protect us from this kind of deception, what God does is that he gives us the helmet of salvation. Remember when we read in Ephesians 6 that the when it says take on the whole armor of God that we we might you might um stand against the wiles of the devil and we explain that that word wiles means strategies or deception of the devil all right so that's what um one of the i mean one of the ways God protects us from this deception is by giving us the the helmet of salvation so I said here in this slide that it is God's way of keeping the believer under his government so we don't fall prey to deception now I'm going to explain this last part with a passage of scripture, okay? Um, this passage is found in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And I believe this will tie it in for us. Um, everything was said, <clears throat> this verse will help us, you know, make sense of it. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Please read if you are there. And please, if at any point you, you can't hear me or you stop hearing me or seeing me, um, please do let me know. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, chapter 10, verse 9, sorry. Son, should please read for us. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. <clears throat> All right, let me read. Romans 10, verse 9. Yes. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Thank you very much. Now, this is a very popular scripture and very direct one. It says, if you believe, no, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, please take note of this. You are confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus you, and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. So there are two things, two, um, two ingredients that result in salvation. He says you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You confess the Lordship of Jesus and then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and that will result in salvation. So when you talk about the helmet of salvation, I'm reading this verse to show us how salvation is achieved or how salvation is experienced rather, right? It says, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and then believe in your heart and you'll be saved. What people, what people subconsciously um, de define or subconsciously expect is that they'll believe in Jesus as the savior and then they'll be saved. But that's not what the Bible teaches, all right? Um, of course, Jesus is the Savior, no doubt. Please, don't, don't get me wrong. Jesus is the Savior. But what, what brings us into the experience of salvation is that we declare him to be our Lord. The word Lord there means master and, and the, the one who decides what our life would do, basically the authority figure in our lives. We declare Jesus and we confess him to be the Lord of our lives, and then we experience his salvation. We don't, ex we don't declare him to be our savior in order to experience his salvation. We declare him to be our Lord. And once we've accepted his lordship, that with our mouth, we confess that he's Lord. We, we, declare, we declare and accept his lordship over our lives. Then, and we believe in our heart that, that God raised him from the dead, then salvation is, is imputed unto us. What this means is that salvation is born by you, is, salvation is experienced rather by you accepting Jesus as Lord. Without the Lordship of Jesus, you cannot experience salvation. And what that also means is that when, even after you, you've received Jesus, you've received salvation rather, Jesus still remains your Lord. Okay? So the, my emphasis here is Lordship. Is, the, is Jesus being the authority figure of your life? And a lot of people, you know, think it this way. They, the mental picture they have in their mind is that Oh, they're about to drown. They're about to drown. And they say, oh, Jesus, save me, save me. And then Jesus throws a rope and saves them and say, oh, yes, Jesus, you are my savior. Savior, that's why you saved me. No, that's not what happens. What happened really is that obviously we're drowning, but we did not call on Jesus as a savior. We called on Jesus as, as a Lord, basically saying we're drowning, right? And the only way we'll be saved is when we admit, accept that Jesus will be our Lord, meaning he'll be the authority figure of our lives, telling us what to do, telling us what to say, telling us where to go. He'll be our Lord and master. That if in our drowning state, we say, Jesus, I accept that you be my Lord. I, I, whatever was my Lord before, I give it up. Even if 
I myself was my Lord, I give it up. I accept you as my Lord. God and Jesus now says, okay, since you've done that, I would extend salvation to you. So salvation comes on the basis of our acceptance of Jesus as our Lord. Now, why I'm emphasizing this is to explain the helmet of salvation. Because what God wants to do, remember I said God wants to protect us from that deception. In his, his way of protecting us from, de from deception is giving us the helmet of salvation. And the helmet of salvation is that or is the is also wearing the authority of Jesus Christ over our lives because it was in our acceptance of his authority that we, we experienced salvation. Do you get what I'm saying? That the helmet of salvation, we putting on the helmet of salvation is a continuous acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord because it was by that acceptance that we received salvation in the first place. And take note that the helmet of salvation is on your head. You wear it on your head. And headship represents authority as well. So you are saying that the way I was saved, I will re retain the disposition I had when I received salvation. And what was the disposition? The disposition was that Jesus is my Lord. So what God does is that God places us to protect us from deception. Hmm? Let me tell you, what God does is that he puts us under his government. He puts us under his authority, okay? And as we submit to his authority as, and as him being our Lord, we are protected. We, 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 we wear on us spiritually the helmet of salvation. And there is so much protection that comes just simply by you submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord. There is so much God protects you from. Now, I know that we, we, um, receiving Jesus Christ is a one-time experience, but submitting to his Lordship is a lifelong experience. So receiving Jesus Christ into our hearts is a, is a one-time experience. You don't need to keep receiving him every day. The moment you pray and, and believe and receive, you know, you, you, you receive Jesus in your heart. But I'm saying that him being your Lord is a lifelong experience. So yes, you receive Jesus Christ once, but he's your Lord forever. And it is in your submission to his Lordship that the helmet of salvation is actually being worn. And the, like I said, there's so much protection that comes because you've yielded yourself to the government and to the authority of Jesus Christ, all right? So take, for instance, um, God comes to you and says, you know what, every, every month, take a fast, three days, and you're wondering, why will I, why should I fast? God does not bother explaining anything to you, but shall reluctantly you obey. When you obey, you are submitting yourself to the authority of God. You are putting yourself under that government. So even though you would love to be eating chicken and rice for those three days, yet you submit yourself to the government of God and you fast, even though you don't really know why exactly God wants to fast, but you obey. That act of obedience has, that act of obedience places you under a protection from God. Okay, let me read a verse of scripture for you. Um, Psalm 91, I think. Either Psalm 90 or 91. And I really hope we get this point. Okay, Psalm, Psalm 91 says, He that dwells in Psalm 91, verse 1, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What that means is that he who dwells in the secret place, the secret place is a place of fellowship. If you are in a place of fellowship, he says, you abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The shadow of the Almighty refers to the influence of the Almighty. That means the government of the Almighty. He says, he shall abide under the 
shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress. So you cannot say of the Lord, you are my refuge and fortress if you are not abiding under his government. That is exactly what I'm going, where I'm aiming at. That one of the greatest protections you can ever have as a believer is that you've willingly submitted yourself to the government of God. That is a protection. And that, like I explained, right, that is how our salvation was, that's how we experience salvation. And that's how we, we should continue living our lives under the government of God. So simply the helmet of salvation is, is us submitting ourselves to the government of God, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, because that is the way our salvation was, um, that's what gave us access to salvation in the first place. And as we do that, it is a protection over our lives. Remember that the head represents um, authority, right? So when we wear the helmet of salvation, we are placing that authority of God over and above our own authority and we're submitting ourselves to God. All right, I hope that explained it. So I'm um, just quickly on, on slide here. I said, operating under God's government is the greatest security and covering you can ever have, all right? And I said also that um, sin aims to take us from under the government of God, thereby exposing us to the attack of the enemy. And that's what, you know, one of the things sin aims to achieve, that sin takes us away from the government and the authority of God. And once you leave the authority of God, you are exposed to the attack of the enemy. Remember, the Bible says that when the hedge is broken, then the serpent will bite. So when that protective covering is broken or when you take yourself away from God's government, then the enemy is at liberty to strike with deception and whatever else he wants to. And I said here that there are deceptions you will never fall into because you are under the government of God. You know, um, the, uh, and I said here that his instructions are life. Proverbs 14 verse 13 tells us that he hold on to instructions for instructions are life. So you might wonder why maybe for instance, God gives an instruction and say every month set, send a certain amount of money, maybe to a family that, you know, are struggling financially. You might not know why, but that money, you are, that obedience to God is protection. You know, um, I, I, I listened to a, a, a testimony a man of God shared um, about um, how he, how they had accident, he and his wife, and several other people, right? But God delivered them. And he said before then, about a week ago, that God just gave him an instruction to send a certain amount of money to his father-in-law. All right, and he obeyed, he just sent it. He didn't know why he obeyed, he just sent it. And then they, they had the accident, the car was damaged, but everybody was intact. Nobody, no life was lost, nobody was hurt, everybody was doing fine. And then God now told him later that this was the reason why I instructed you to send money to your father-in-law. Reason was because the Bible says, honor your father and mother in the Lord. He says, so that your days will be long. And because he obeyed, he didn't know why he didn't, he could use the money for something else, but he obeyed under God's government. That, that obedience was protection for him. So I'm saying that there are several things God is instructing you to do. It might be a fast, it might be giving, it might be dissociating from certain friends, whatever the instruction God gives you under his government, obey it. That instruction is a defense and a protective mechanism for you. His instructions are life, all right? Um, okay, oh, sorry, that's it. All right, so this is where we're going to end today or where we're going to end for this particular topic on the helmet of salvation, all right? I hope this was helpful. Again, apologies for the several um, 
internet interruption, all right? Uh, but I hope this was helpful enough for us, or this gives us like good understanding so far. Um, okay, yeah. So I would love to take questions if anyone has any questions quickly, just we were really out of time. So I can only take one question or one learning point. So either a question you have or something you learned from today's Bible study. Um, somebody wants to share quickly. I can only take one person because we are out of time. So who wants to be that anointed one to share what they learned to us? Just one thing you learned today or a question that you have, um, that a question that you may have. So pardon if you can't see me again on, on Mixella. All right, any question, anybody, or a, a learning point, something you learned from today? Please go ahead. We are waiting. We are waiting. We are waiting. Good evening, everyone. So I'm the anointed one. So I'm just going to share. Hallelujah. Thank you. <laughs> so um, for me, the last few points that you made really struck me because um, basically emphasized that um, going ahead to do the leadings of the spirits without having to question it or mm. knowing why those instructions come because sometimes I'm like, this is odd. Why exactly? And I really like to know the, the whys and the hows and answer all the questions. Yeah. But this basically just resonates well with me and <clears throat> makes me understand that mine is just to trust in his lordship over mm -hmm. my life and then he will show up for me. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much, Faith, for sharing that. God bless you. Okay, so let's say a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, this session. We thank you for everything that you have taught us. We are grateful. We ask that you help us to continue to submit ourselves to your lordship and your authority, um, that the helmet of salvation will always be upon our heads, that the enemy will not find an avenue to deceive us um, or to trick us into any of his schemes in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, over to you, Idara, um, to take the concluding part. Amen. Okay, so I just wanted to quickly read what Amy got put on the on chats. Just said he was reminded about the importance of not tying his identity or security to anything outside Christ. Thank you so much for sharing, sir. And I confess that, Victor, when you were saying all those things, I was just like, okay, don't tie it to money, don't tie it to this. When you now came and said, we must not derive our identity from the activities of our purpose, I was like, come on, just came to be checking. <laughs> and it's true, we have to be very careful about that because be like, it's your purpose, but then you're not trusting God. If that thing ends now, what happens? So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Victor. So please, do we have any first timers in our community today? Please, you can unmute to say hi. You can drop a chat in Zoom on XLR. XLR. So please help me monitor. Thank you. Um, yep, do we have any first timers, please? 
would like to know who invited you. No one. Is anyone please? Okay, Oluwatosin said first time on Zoom this year. Okay, please Hello. welcome, welcome. <laughs> I hope you joined us here. Hope you enjoyed this corner of the Bible study. I also dropped the link to our WhatsApp group, our prayer cluster. Please, if you've not joined any prayer cluster, please follow the um, link um, we just posted, register. We have a postcard channel too. Hey, Ms. Sola, first time, welcome. Please, we invited you. Um, if you can just type it. And also, if you don't mind sharing what city you're joining us from. Yeah, okay, yeah. Marvelous, oh, Marvelous. And Marvelous is on Mixella. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to our community. We meet every Tuesday for Bible studies. Um, prayer is last Saturday of the month and we have the prayer cluster groups. Please join. I put all the links where you can join our WhatsApp group and join. Uh, so register for prayer cluster. The day that's convenient for you, you see everything. And then our podcast channel has past Bible studies. So if you notice Victor mentioned what we studied last, this is just a continuation of the topic for so last week we started the helmet of salvation so please feel free to listen to all you can go back self we don't shield of faith you know so please 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 um listen thank you so much everyone Victor, is there any other thing um i actually okay um just all right okay sorry finish no, no, I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Dara, for welcoming our first timers and everybody. Um, just heads up, next week, Tuesday is the last Tuesday of the month, I believe. So that'll be our prayer meeting um, as usual. So we are looking forward to it. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a lovely, lovely remaining part of your day. Um, God bless you all.